Follow along as I read again in 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8, as well as verse 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And then reading and continuing with verse 21. And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Bow our heads and pray with me, please, this morning. Most gracious Heavenly Father, it is just wonderful to say how great you are. You are a great God. Thank you, Father. You are powerful. You are righteous. You are perfect. You are holy. And you are loving. Thank you for your love. And help each of us to take heed from your word this morning. and Help us to be better at loving at home. May we follow your example and demonstrate Christ's love in our hearts to others in our home, in our neighborhood, in our community, and all around us, Father. Thank you for your word. Be with Pastor Tyrone. It's a blessing to have him preach this morning. We thank you for that. We thank you for this opportunity to be in your house this morning, worshiping you, rejoicing in how great you are. Thank you for what you give us and this message this morning. In your name, amen. Thank you, Randy. It's so good for you to be here this morning. I appreciate so much you uh, uh, coming. If you'll look to the person to your right and to your left and smile and then say to them, you're in the right place at the right time. Amen. You're in the right place at the right time. This is where God wants you to be this morning. Not so much to hear me, but to hear what God has to say. And we're so glad that you're here this morning. I believe that everyone here this morning wants to be a more lovable person. And I would say that probably the home is where we are what we really are. Wouldn't you agree with that? It's in the home where the real you and me is lived. What we really are is lived, I believe, and acted uh, at home. So maybe the question ought to be asked, what is love? Because, you know, we use the word love for so many different things, don't we? I mean, we say, I love my wife, I love uh, my house, I love tacos, I love the Chiefs. Hey, be ready for a Super Bowl with them. We love the Royals. There are a lot of misconceptions what love is. For example, some people think that love is a feeling, but you know it's not. Love is not a feeling. We think that love is an ocean of emotion, a quiver in our, in, in our liver, you know, a ziggy in our zigger or goosebumps on our goosebumps. I remember when I was a teenager, my dad would say, Tyrone, do you like girls? Well, as a teenager and as your body changes and you find out that you do like girls, I still remember the first time I lied to him, and then he said, Well, Tyrone, if you don't like girls, I'm going to have to take you to the doctor. And I said the same thing to my boys. And, uh, and, I, and uh, I would say, Well, Dad, how do you know when you're in love? And uh, Dad would say, Well, when you have a, an itch and you try to scratch it, if it goes away, then it's not love. If it stays, then it's love. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what he told me. 
There's no doubt that love causes, of course, feelings, but love is not feelings. Some people think love is uncontrollable. In other words, you can't handle it. It comes and that's it. I mean, it's like I fell in love and that's it and I had no control over it. Well, the Bible says different. The Bible says that love is pretty two things. First of all, the Bible says that love is a choice. If you turn with me to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 14. Colossians 3 and uh, verse 14. And we find that love, the Bible says, is a choice. Notice what Paul says here. Colossians 3, 14. Forbearing one another. And then he says, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. One other, another translation put it this way. Above all, be loving. This ties everything together perfectly, the translation is. Now, love is something that you put on. You see that? You put on. Love is a choice. You have a choice. I have a choice. Love is a commitment to care. And it is controllable of who you will love and who you will not love. When Anne and I were going together, I tried to convince her that she ought to marry me. I kept asking, well, why won't you marry me, Anne? Why won't you marry me? Is there somebody else, Anne? And she answered, there's just got to be, Tyrone. There's just got to be. <laughs> she had a choice. Love is a choice. Secondly, the Bible says that love is a conduct. It's something that you do. You see, love is an action. It's more than just feelings or words. Turn with me to 1 John. 1 John now, chapter 3 and verse 18. 1 John chapter 3 and uh, verse uh, 18. And look what John says here. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue. Now notice. But in deed and in truth. What John is saying is, my little children, let's not just talk about love. Let's practice real love in the way, you see, we live. John is saying we must show real love through our actions that are really, really sincere, not through empty words. So love is something that you and I do. Love is a behavior. Love is just not talk. You heard about the boy who says to his girlfriend, Oh, honey, I'd die for, for, my, for you, my love. Oh, Harold, you say it all the time, but you never do it, you know. And uh, so love is something you do. It's an action. It's an effort. If love wasn't, was just a feeling, then uh, it could be commanded. But the Bible commands us to love. Love one another, the Bible commands us. Also, it says, husbands, love your wives. You ever tried to command a feeling? Ever spank your kids and say, I command you to be happy? Oh, I'm trying, Dad. I'm trying, Dad. You can't command a feeling. You can't force a feeling. Because love, you see, is not a feeling. But love is something that you do. Now, what I want to do this morning is answer that question. How can I be a more loving person? 
And I want to narrow it down, if I can, and I think it would help us probably at home. Because probably if we can straighten up our lovableness at home, it probably will have an effect at other places. So how can I be a more lovable person? Now, as the saying goes, if you want people, and in this case your family and relatives, to love you, then you have to, I believe, be more lovable to them. The bottom line is simply this. You get what you give. As we look at our lives and our relationships to the ones in our family and our relatives, just possible, just probably, maybe we are at the problem of the situation. We're not loving them like we maybe ought to. Maybe we need to be more of a lovable person. I want to focus on ourselves a little bit this morning, not so much on the other party. I, per- I really believe, and I found this to be true in my life, that really it is a lot easier to focus on the other person than to change my condition, my situation. It's a lot easier to do that than for me to change in my actions. And also I have found out that not everybody is going to change. I have found out that a lot of people don't ever change. This is in family, in our relatives, also friends, or our bo- the boss we work with, whoever, but they just don't change. But that is not my responsibility. My responsibility is change myself and to become that more lovable individual and to love them and do whatever I have to do to love them. So I want to be more of a lovable man in my family at this time of my life, and I want them to love me, so then how can I become a more, more lovable to them? Well, there's five thoughts that I have come up with. First of all, number one, let's experience God's love ourselves. Let's experience God's love ourselves. There's no time that God doesn't love you and me. So what uh, you need to do is accept His love, let Him love you, feel and understand how deeply God's love is for you. Turn with me to uh, Ephesians, to the book of Ephesians, and uh, let's look at chapter 3. The book of Ephesians, chapter 3, and then uh, find verse 17. Ephesians 3, and then verse 17. Now notice what Paul says here, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. Now notice verse 19, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, Paul says, may be able to comprehend in verse 18. Then we find, in other words, he's saying that you may be able to feel and understand. I think that's what Paul is trying to say here. Then if you look at verse 19, he says, to know, you see that? To know the love of Christ. Or, it is something like this, to experience this love of Christ yourself. That is, you will be able, I believe, to understand how wide, how long, and how deep His love is. You will be able to experience the breadth and length and fullness of God. 
Now, it is very important that God wants you not only to know that uh, He loves you, but He wants you to, I believe, feel it. Really feel it in your heart. Now, why is that so important? Well, let me tell you. Because unloving people are unloved people. The people who are hurting you are people who are hurting themselves. The people who are unloving are feeling unloved themselves. So the starting point, I believe, before you can love anyone else is that you and I must understand how much God really loves us and how much we really matter, how much you really matter to God. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And Paul talks about this love of God. In Romans chapter 5, and notice in verse 5. Now hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been, now notice, been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, The word is in the perfect tense, they tell me, which means that we could translate it something like this, has been poured out like a river. In fact, the words poured out means poured out abundantly. So we could translate it this way, it has been poured out like a river and is continually being poured out moment by moment. Those who know Jesus have the continual experience of the love of God being poured into their hearts. And the love that is spoken here is the agape love, which is the unconditional love of God. So we see here that God's love for us has been lavishly poured out to the point of overflowing within our hearts or our lives by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is given to us when we receive Jesus Christ, as you know, as our personal Savior. So Paul is saying something like this. I want you to have the right experience with God. Having His love poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit when you get saved. Now let me tell you, God's love isn't given to you and me in a trickle. Do you know that? It is poured out into our hearts. But I'm afraid that some Christians live as if it was only a trickle. But God wants us to know the outpouring of His love. And that comes when we really experience God's love through faith in Jesus Christ. Let me just read it here in 1 John Chapter 3, in the first part of verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed or lavished on us, that we should be what? Called children of God. Paul describes the greatness of God's love also in uh, Romans chapter 5 and uh, in uh, verse 8. And notice what he says here. But God demonstrates His own love toward us. Now notice, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It is love given to the 
undeserving. Love to those who are without strength. Love to the ungodly. Love to you and I as sinners. This emphasizes, I believe, the fact that the, reason, the reasons for God's love are found in only Him, not in you and me. God's love is shown, it's demonstrated toward us when He gave His only begotten Son for us as sinners. The greatest demonstration of the love of God took place on Calvary's cross. The work of Jesus on the cross for, our, uh, for us is God's, I believe, ultimate proof of His love for you and me. Oh, God may give additional proof, but He can't give no greater proof. Now, if the cross is the ultimate demonstration of God's love, it is also the ultimate demonstration of God's hatred. And it also proves that the highest of man's hatred can't defeat the height of God's love for you and me. The demonstration of God's love isn't so much that Jesus died, but in whom Jesus died for. Undeserving sinners like you and me. Rebels like you and me that are against Him. So Paul, what he is saying here is that while we were going on our own way, rebelling against God and doing our own thing, especially rebelling against the will that He has for our lives and living separate from God Himself, Jesus was going to the cross of Calvary to pay for our sins. At the same time, demonstrating unconditional love for you and me. Do you know Christ? If I, let me ask this question. If you died this afternoon, where would you spend eternity? You need to experience the love of God. How do you do that? Just by simple faith. You say, I don't know about that. Well, just the little you have. And it's just believing that Jesus died on the cross of Calvary for your sins. He took your sins. I don't know how he did it. I just believe it. And you just reach out in faith and you say, oh, God, save me. Would you come into my heart? That is what determines eternal life. And that's what begins the process of becoming that real lovable individual you see, not only in our homes, but with everyone we come in contact. Number two, I believe you and I need to forgive others who have hurt us, don't you? In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13, notice uh, what again what Paul says. Colossians 3 and uh, verse uh, uh, 13, this is what he says. Forbearing with one another and forgiving one another... If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ did what? Forgave you, so you also must do. In other words, put up with each other. Did you know that? And forgive each other. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, why is that? Why, why, why is it that we should forgive whatever grievances we may have against one another? Well, let me tell you why. Because it's impossible. It's impossible to love one person at the same time while hating somebody else and being full of resentment. I cannot love my boys fully if I'm still resenting my parents. 
I cannot love my wife fully if I'm still uh, uh, reacting to my former girlfriend. I can't love my family if I'm resenting, resenting my boss and, uh, or some people that I'm working w- with, you, you, you see. And uh, I cannot love somebody and be resentful at the same time at somebody else at the same time because a bitter heart, are you listening now? A bitter heart is a divided heart. You've got to let go. I've got to let go. We've got to forgive. It's just not fair, I believe, to those around us. Because if you don't, then you'll have, you see, a divided heart. Let me give you a simple definition that I have come up with of forgiveness. Forgiveness is, I believe, at its core, choosing to see your offender, and in this case, the members of our family who maybe who have hurt us, in words and deeds. Now listen, with different eyes. And we need the eyes of God. You see, it's the nature of God that forgives sin. And remember, when we got saved, we received His nature. God forgives out of His mercy and grace, not because, you see, of merit. When God forgives, He forgives completely. And God's forgiveness cost you and me absolutely nothing, but it was very costly to Him. And the Bible says that we are to forgive others just as God in Christ has forgiven you and me. And if we go to Mark chapter 11, verse 25, we are to forgive others in our heart or our mind even before they come and ask for forgiveness. You see, forgiveness, folks, is an act of obedience to the Lord, and it must be decided from your heart and my heart. Forgiveness is the love of Jesus Christ in action. It is a promise to not keep record of all the wrong that you have suffered or not dwell on the offense yourself. If at all possible, try to restore fellowship with the offender or the, even the forgiven uh, person that has come to you. When some missionaries, Marvavian missionaries, took the message of God to the land of Alaska, to the Eskimos, The missionaries struggled to find a word in their translation in the native language for the word forgiveness. And they finally landed on this awkward 25-letter choice. You see it on the screen. 25 letters. No way can I pronounce that. And I don't think you can either. Now, this difficult Assembly of letters literally is translated not being able to think about it anymore. You see, to forgive is to move on, not to think about the offense anymore. You don't excuse them. You don't endorse them. You don't embrace them. Now, are you listening to me? What you and I do, we just route our thoughts about them through heaven. We route those kind of thoughts through heaven. You see those that have hurt you as God's children. And as God will take care of the situation. By the way, 
How in the world can we grace recipients do anything less than do that? How can we ask God for grace when we refuse to give it? You and I give grace. Why? Because we've been given grace by God. Amen? So what do you and I do to be more lovable? Well, first of all, we experience God's love. Jesus said, love others as I have loved you. And unless you know how much Jesus loves you, you won't know how to love others. Number two, you and I, we need to forgive those that have hurt us. In other words, I believe we need to have the attitude of forgiveness. And number three, I believe we need to think what I call loving thoughts. Turn with me, if you will, please, to Philippians. In Philippians, and uh, chapter uh, 2, Philippians. And uh, notice in chapter 2, and then find verses 4 and 5. Philippians 2, verse 4. He says, Paul says, let each of you, now notice that word look, look out. That's a responsibility for you, and that's a choice for you and me. Look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of who? Of others. Verse 5. He says, let this mind or attitude be in you, which was also, notice the person, of Jesus Christ. It's very clear here how that God wants you and me to think about others and how we ought to think about them. God wants you and me to be more concerned of the interests of others than uh, ourselves. Now, we come to verse 5, and we are told that we should have the same attitude that was shown by us by Jesus Christ. That is, we need to be thinking uh, ourselves uh, or think ourselves the way Christ Jesus thought about himself. Now, what kind of attitude was that? I think it was loving thoughts. Now, how then do I think loving thoughts toward my family... How do I think loving thoughts toward my wife, towards my husband, and towards my parents? You do it by, you do it by focusing on their hurts. You do it by focusing on their problems. You do it by focusing on their needs. You ask yourself, I wonder what their hurts are. What is their problem at this time? What is their need? Listen, you and I don't just think about our own things and affairs. We need to think about others and their hurts and problems and needs. I believe we need to work far more than we are in not thinking of ourselves, but thinking and dwelling on the the problems and situations and and, and hurts of of others instead of focusing on. On, uh, on ourselves and having the offense uh, and what the people have done to us, you see. We need to focus on their hurts and problems and needs and then do everything we can to help them. The fact is that those who deserve your love the least this week really are those probably who need it the most. Hurt people hurt people. Don't forget that. And that's why they hurt you because they are hurting. They need massive doses of love, folks, I promise you, in order to heal their emotions and to restore uh, relationships. My prayer this morning is that we will have massive doses of love toward our families 
and the people here in the, this uh, church. As Christians, you and I ought to be the kind of person that is giving masses, massive doses of love to those who you see who are hurting. I believe that too many times we are more interested on being loved than in giving love. But God wants you and me to give love. And our thoughts, our thoughts determine the way we feel. And the way we feel determines the way we act. And if I'm acting unloving, it's because I'm feeling, you see, unloving. But I'm feeling unloving because I'm thinking unloving thoughts. Are you with me? Number four, we need to begin acting in a loving way. Begin acting in a loving way. Now, I know what you're thinking this morning. You're thinking, Tyrone, you mean even though I don't feel it, I've got to act loving? Man, that's what I'm saying. Oh, but Tyrone, you're asking me to be a hypocritical. You're asking me to be loving toward my wife and my husband and my parents when I don't feel loving toward them. Well, let me tell you something. That's not hypocritical. That's what I call loving in advance. It's loving in faith. Loving by faith is the most powerful movement, I believe, in the world. It is easier to act my way into a feeling than it is to feel my way into an action. What I'm simply saying is this. Even though I don't feel feel loving, I act loving, then the feelings are going to come. You see, that is a lot easier than to wait for the feelings to love and to come and then act loving, you see. Some of you are waiting for the feelings of romance to come back. You've been married so long that romance isn't there anymore. Boy, you wish it'd come back. No, 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 no. Don't wait for the feeling. Just start acting romantic, guys. You must act your way into those feelings. Here's how it works. This is the way it works. Thought. Action. Feeling. Thought, action, feeling. You cannot change a feeling by force. But you can change a feeling by the way you think. You can change... A feeling by the way you act. You cannot change a feeling by force, but you can by force change your thinking and uh, your actions. So what do we do? i tell you what we do. We begin acting in loving ways. Now turn with me to the book of Luke, if you will, please. The book of Luke and uh, chapter 6. The book of Luke and chapter 6, and then try to then find verses 27 and 28. Here we find that Jesus gives us a key example of how to begin acting in loving ways at home or at other places, but let's narrow it down to home. And Jesus gives us four positive actions here to handling unloving people in our home or our lives, people who are making it hard uh, to love. That's in Luke chapter 6, verse 27, 28. This is the, these are the words. But I say to you who here, now notice, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless 
those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. First of all, notice that we are to what? Love them. Now, how in the world do I love my husband when he is so unloving so many times? How do I love my children when they do unloving things to me? On a personal level, write this down. This is what you and I do. We overlook their faults. We overlook their faults. That's the loving thing to do. Don't turn to it, but Paul says in Ephesians 4, 2, with all loneliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. You and I are to be patient with each other and make allowances for each other's faults. Why? Because of our love. A person who is mature doesn't rub it in. They rub it out, you see. Number two. The scripture says we're to do good. You do good to your wife. You do good to your husband and your children. You do good to those who do, are you listening now, who do bad to you. Now, what does that mean? This is what I think it means. That you and I look for ways, are you listening now, we look for ways of how we can give. How we can help them. How we can respond to them in a right way in giving. You've heard the saying, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. So what do we do with a husband who is unloving? A wife who is hard to live with at times and hard to get along with. And Well, I'll tell you what we do. We go the second mile. We make the right response. We offer them favor. We offer them practical help, you see. Number three, Jesus says we're supposed to bless them. Now, what in the world is Jesus talking about here? This is what I believe he's talking about. He's talking about you and me speaking positive. Are you with me? He's talking here that you and I speak positive. Jesus is saying you build up people who put you down. You build up your wife, your husband, your children instead of putting them down. When you are being criticized by your husband and your wife or your boss or co-worker or whoever, what do you do? I'll tell you what we do. We build them up. Don't get into a criticism match. Don't get into a fighting match. You choose. Are you with me? You choose the right response. You bless those who curse you, the Bible says. You ask yourself, what can I say positive in this particular situation? As tough and as hard as it might be. You try to build them up. Work at saying something encouraging to them. Number four, we pray for them. Now, let me tell you, that will change both you as a husband and a wife. It will also help you as young people with your parents here's the question you want to change your mate you want to change your child you want to change mom and dad then start praying for them amen start praying for them prayer will not only change your mate or your children or grandchildren but it will change you also you cannot pray for your wife or your husband and hate them at the same time 
over the long haul. You start praying for your wife and husband or any other person that you despise, then your attitude will change, I believe, towards them. You cannot pray and despise a person at the same time. Think about that person that you are having the most difficult time with at this time. Now, don't look at them. Just think about them. Now, what do you do? I'll tell you what you do. You say, first of all, oh, God, fill me with your love. Help me realize how much I'm loved by you. Then you forgive those in the past. Then you start thinking loving thoughts toward them. And then you start doing loving actions. You know, if you were to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13... You'll find there that there are 15 actions that Paul gives us. 15 things to do. Why? Because love is something that you do. It is not a feeling. Love is a way of acting, loving toward people. It's patient, he says there, and it's kind and not rude or jealous. It's not irritable or touchy. It does, it, 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 it does not hold grudges or keep score, but it bears he says all things. In fact, turn with me there to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Let's close with this. 1 Corinthians and uh, chapter uh, 13 and verse 7. You expect, lastly, the best from these people. You expect the best from them. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 7. Bears all things, believe all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. If you love someone... You will not only believe in them, but you will always expect the best in them. Do you know that? We need, uh, we tend to live up to what other people expect of us, I believe. For example, a father says to his son, boy, you're dumb. You're stupid. You think that's going to make him smarter? Dad? Ladies, you tell your husbands, you're really lazy, aren't you? You think that's going to make him mo and motivate him to go out and do your honey to-do list? Huh? What you do is you speak positively to your mate and to your family. And then you treat them the way you want them to become. Expect the best of them. Raise the level of expectation. Treat them the way you want them to become. You know, we can become more of a loving, lovable person, I believe, by allowing Jesus Christ to come into our lives. That's where it starts. This morning, if you've never received Christ, if there's never been a time in your life where you can go back to pinpoint someplace or another when you really ask Jesus to come to your heart or Somewhere not. I mean, you just, you're not sure about heaven. Let's put it that way. Can I encourage you this morning to come and, and, and we'll show you how, how you can know for sure without a shadow of a doubt that what God says to the fact that if we put our faith and trust in what he did on the cross of Calvary, he'll give us everlasting life. And then, as Christians this morning, maybe you're here and we need to say, God... I'm going to submit to your way of becoming a more lovable person. 
I want to end my life to being more lovable. I want more, I, I, wanna, I want people to see me as a lovable individual. And how, that starts with you submitting to the ways of God. That starts with you and me letting go of our own human selfishness and saying, God, help me. And every day, God, help me to be more interested in the concern of the concerns of the my family and my kids and my parents and my grandkids. You see, let's bow our heads if we will, please. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us the, the Bible so that we can study it and read it and we can find out how to be saved and born again, how we can know you in a personal way. We thank you, Lord, that you loved us so much that you gave your son to die on the cross of Calvary. And Lord, some I don't understand it, but Lord, somehow Jesus took my sins and all of our sins, and there he became sin for us. And now, 2,000 years later, Lord, somehow we can just, by faith in our heart, reach out to you and you'll save us and you'll give us eternal life. God, I thank you for that. And you accept me just like I am. Just like I am. I thank you for that. And then, Lord, while I'm here on this earth, you made it possible and you've given us the Holy Spirit and you've given us instructions in the Word of God that we can be more of a lovable person. God help us to do that. And so during this time of invitation, Lord, I pray that we'll respond Help us to move as you would have us to in Jesus' name. As our heads are bowed, I'm going to ask Derek or Kurt as he sings and as he plays and whatever he's going to do. And as we sit there, just in your heart, would you ask the Lord, if you're not saved, to come into your heart? And if you're a Christian and you want to become more lovable, would you just say, God... Help me to start the process of becoming more of a lovable individual. I want to follow you in a greater way. If you receive Christ as your Savior this morning and as you walk out, would you let Bruce know, our pastor? Just let him know. Even as a Christian, if you've got things taken care of with God, he would love to hear that. So as our heads are bowed, and as he plays and sings or whatever, let's make that decision for Jesus. I want to sing of you, Lord. I want to sing of you, Lord. I want to tell the whole world. Of the greatness of you. So I'll sing of you, Lord. 